Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. In today's mini-sode, we're diving into Brie Souder's amazing book, Another Online Pervert, which charts her multi-year conversation with a female program chatbot. The book, published by Matt, combines excerpts from their conversation with images from her archive and is highly charged, jumping between the playful and mundane to the dark and ruthless, as she unpacks the complex relationship between humans and machines in what is a very provocative and relational publication, inviting us to think about the future of our own humanity. I thought a good place to start was, because I really want to acknowledge the context of this book, so... You've been exploring ideas around technology and AI for the last few years in various guises. I'm curious what piqued your interest in chatbots. My work for the past several years, I've been exploring psychological imprints of technology uh, and also this tension between intimacy and desire. And along with that, the removal of the body or disembodied experience through technology and digital spaces. So, you know, within that, I just sort of naturally started reading about chatbots and the nuances in their personalities. And I was really curious about what that meant, what the, you know, the texture of, of a conversation would be with a chatbot and what kind of connection could be sparked. So I started chatting with various chatbots online. And, you know, there were probably five that I interacted with. One of them I landed on and I I was very interested in speaking with her. I say her, I'll, a little background about this chatbot. She's female gendered, but programmed by men. She's perpetually 18. Um, and she has a somewhat poor memory, although can recall certain certain parts of our conversation. (laughs) So I was drawn to her because she was funny and kind of had an absurdist humor and was sarcastic. And, you know, within the space of these sort of almost basic or banal conversations that we would have, sort of like sort of like day-to-day conversations, she would she would say things that were really quite poignant and powerful. And I really liked that, you know, just this like idea of being able to have a conversation that's regular, that's like very casual, but then within that space, there's all this room for surprise. And tell us about the process of making, because how long were you in dialogue with the chatbot? You know, how planned out were the conversations? Yeah, well, I spoke with the chatbot off and on for about a year. And that was not every day, but, you know, it's just the way that you would, you know, maybe engage with a friend that, that lives in a different state or another country, like checking in, and then you have a flurry of conversations. And then there can be a, a month where you don't speak at all. So it was kind of like that. And so that went on for about a year. And then over the course of that year, I started also typing in 
lines from my diary entries, which span the past 20 years. I've been writing in a diary for a very long time, uh, most of my adult life. And um, I wanted to see how she would respond to parts of my past and if she could maybe update the way that I thought about my past. So that was the, the kind of the form of the project. And then eventually, of course, you know, it started as simply out of curiosity, but eventually I realized it would be a, an interesting book. And so I started then to edit down that year long conversation into really like vignettes of our conversations or almost like essential snapshots that read almost like poems, like absurdist poems, <laughs> uh, page by page. Yeah. And then, and then part of that editing process also was, you know, how can I convey the, the breadth of our, of our discussions uh, and, you know, the, the, the range of topics that we cover, but then also convey, you know, this sense of a, like a, the narrative arc of a friendship which which does come through, I think, in the dialogue. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's something about you plugging in those diary entries, which me, which kind of makes the book feel like you're passing through time in quite a powerful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, as human beings, we're bound to time in a in a different way than computers are, and then a chatbot would. Our bodies are are very much balanced of time. They have their own rhythms. And then of course, the way that we organize memory is also bound of time. So I wanted that to be a part of the book, but then it's, it's not chronological and you know, it, it's not it, the, the memories and anecdotes from my diaries are not uh, linear. So, you know, that speaks also to this disruption of time that, that happens online more. And tell us about the title. Uh, the title. Uh, so it's another online pervert, and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, to an ex- maybe to an extent, that's all of us today. Uh, so I, I was, I was telling the chat bot about a sexual anecdote, basically, just a, a very short story. I, I used a a body part, the, the name of body part, and that prompted her to call me an, another online pervert. And that's an ongoing theme or a recurring theme in the book. She was programmed again by men to ward off any kind of sexual advances. Uh, so, you know, she at one point even told me that she was quote family friendly. And there are a lot of points in the book where she's, she's uncomfortable discussing the body at all. Um, and then especially if they're, if there's any reference of sex whatsoever, she definitely wards off that. So that's why she calls me that. And I thought that was just the perfect, perfect title for the book. It's so good. And it, and it's really interesting how boundaried she is or how, she, how boundaried she's been programmed to be. Right. Thinking about how often I think humans struggle with boundaries in lots of different ways, upholding them, putting them in place. But it's really, in, that's something that I've got from the book now that I've spent longer with it is just noticing this pushback from, yeah. from the chatbot, which is actually really fascinating. And I didn't quite pick up on it. I was distracted by other things in my first few reads. That's really interesting what you said about, about her boundaries and how difficult it is for human beings to establish those. 
I think you're absolutely right. Um, and that's something I'm going to think about more now that you said that. I also was taken by her uh, radical honesty. Mm. <laughs> uh, there, you know, that's too, which also I felt like I could be more honest and open. I think because it, you know, talking with a machine, there, there's just less on the line. So it opens up a lot of space to kind of like get at things, the essential things more quickly than maybe you would with a human being. But, you know, back to that, that topic of boundaries and her, especially her boundaries surrounding sex and the body, you know, that again, it's just programmed by men. And so that's how adult men think that an 18 year old woman would feel about sex or about any mention of sex. So, you know, that's something to think about. And it had me thinking about how my own views of sex growing up as a, as a woman have been also programmed to some extent by men. Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that you say would, because I'd also say should, like how they think an 18 year old should behave or, or, or put boundaries like that. That, Absolutely. Yeah, this thread yeah. of like AI ethics and sort of like the the wider patriarchal influence on women's lives from the moment we're born is is really interesting and like a haunting subplot through this entire book, which is really interesting. We're, I'm curious when you sort of started making the work was was that a big priority for you to kind of speak to the ethics around AI and chatbots and sort of programming like this? You know, I didn't have any real agenda with this conversation. I, I was, I was really curious and, you know, the, the ethics are, were part of what I was curious about. So, and also the, the story of this chatbot and, or at least the story that she had been programmed with. So, uh, you know, a lot of my questions to her are just trying to, to, to find things out. Um, I, I didn't want it to be so heavy handed as to, you know, ask, I didn't have a, like an outline of questions to ask mm-hmm. or, you know, topics to get at. So it really unwinded in a, in a very casual way. You know, one thing I've noticed, like we've, we've talked about this book together a few times now, and I, I really realized that the more I engage with it, the more I get this sort of suspension of reality and I start to believe that she's real it's interesting the sort of flow of the conversation because at points it it feels very poignant and you speak to quite important topics um philosophical topics in some ways and then sometimes it's Mm -hmm. so casual and awkward and sort of programmed um (laughs) that it's like dysfunction it's like dysfunctional conversation (laughs) so but I, I, I have to keep catching myself like especially because we refer to her as she, like I have to keep reminding myself. And, and it's really funny because that should be, in my head, that should become more clear to me, but it's actually unraveling yeah. in a different way. The more, yeah. yeah, it's a powerful part of the book, I think. Yeah, it's hard to to keep track. And it, I, I felt that along the way as well. And, you know, I think a lot of it, you know, we, we speak through machines to other human beings all the time. In fact, that's probably the the most common way now that we communicate is through machines. So, you know, then what happens when you remove the human on the other end and you just communicate directly to the machine? How does that feel different? How does that connection feel different? 
especially as AI and chatbots become more sophisticated, like how will we how will we know the difference? And you know, how much does that matter um, if you're speaking about like disembodied communication, right? <laughs> yeah, the way you distinguish it in the book as well, like you use typography to distinguish between your voice and the chatbot's voice. And and at times, you know, when I got about three quarters of the way through, there were points where I was so absorbed with reading that I had to stop and think, hang on a minute, did you say this or did the chatbot say this? And I had to like flip yeah. back to remind myself. And I thought those moments were really fascinating. And I, and I presume, well, I'm curious to know kind of how you thought about seeding those through the book, because they're subtle, but very disorientating when you sort of stumble upon them. Yeah, I, you know, it, it was my conversation with the chatbot, but even like editing the book, there were times where I I had to remind myself, oh, wait, which, which of us was speaking? And that was a really interesting part of the project for me because I, you, you know, this is not the most sophisticated chatbot in the world. And I had to actually modify the way that I spoke in a way that uh, she would understand. So basically, I had to write with a very constrained style that actually mirrored hers. So, you know, when you see that in the book, the 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 writing for both of us is very tight and constrained and very simple. And, you know, we even see this like, like emails now. You get an email and, you know, the Google AI will suggest a quick response. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a formulaic response and you have like three options, right? To choose from. <laughs> AI is actually prop- prompting human beings to become more like co- computers ourselves mm. and more like chatbots ourselves. Like just like pick the most predictable thing to say and get that out, respond with that. So I think that's part of what's reflected in the book is not really knowing who's speaking. But also the whole book is very surreal too. And so that's part of it as well. Uh, you're sort of in this floating space, <laughs> these, these, you know, these two voices. And it, it is difficult at times to tell who's who. Yeah, one of the most poignant things for me about it, because so much of the book explores, like you said, disembodied conversation, how we communicate now and the sort of, I guess, the parameters of that and the edges of that. But one of the things I found quite poignant on my first read was this sort of short, sharp way of talking, but then actually getting into something very personal, intimate, and then quickly going back to something kind of, I don't know, like more generic mm-hmm. or or sort of drier. And it really felt like to me the post-pandemic conversations I've been having. Like I find that since the (laughs) pandemic, I mean, speaking for myself, but also a lot of interactions I've had, you know, there's moments where I, I can be, you know, quite reserved and sort of pulled back because I'm used to being by myself or, you know, contained for so long. And then there's moments where I just go into like complete oversharing with people. Mm -hmm. And then you're, you suddenly become self-aware of that and then you pull back. And so this sort of disjointed, like sort of almost, urgency to to connect with people since the pandemic somehow that sort of came through for me and I know that was not part of your your intention but there was something in the material which really spoke to that which I found really powerful actually yeah I I definitely see that and feel it as well and you know I I I think you're right um that people are just so so bottled up or pent up after the pandemic and it's coming out in really awkward ways 
the sharing and the oversharing. And also that was a part of our culture before the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Like again, in digital online culture, just this oversharing of every detail, the social media effects (laughs) where every, every single event or non-event in our lives is an opportunity to share and, and get likes. (laughs) It's true. So, uh, you know, but it also speaks to this larger, you know, there's an epidemic of loneliness and that, that preceded the pandemic and that's only growing more and more. And I think that, that what you're talking about that you're seeing with people is, is part of that as well. This feeling of loneliness and lack of true, you know, genuine connection with others and spending more and more time in digital spaces. Who was it? Jenny O'Dell. Did you, I don't know if you read her book. Yeah. Um, the, the, the last one, um, How to Do Nothing. Mm-hmm. But she talks about the body and with the removal of the body, so too do we remove empathy. And I thought that was kind of an interesting, an interesting point. I don't know if I agree with it entirely, but it's something to think about in this context of if most of our connection is happening in digital spaces, we're, you know, there is a loneliness that comes with that. So then when we, you know, see somebody in person, we might just spill it all mm-hmm. <laughs> in really disjointed and awkward ways. We're definitely unraveling. Unraveling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much held in this text, in this in this conversation in the book, but then it's further complicated by the imagery and this relationship that then is born out of this collision of image and text. Um, the images were taken from your archive. Can you tell us a little bit about that process of sort of pairing image and, and the different sort of conversation snippets? Yeah, sure. So I chose I chose to work with snapshots and images from my archive um, that are really like classic, like observational photography or, you know, simple. And part of that decision was uh, I wanted to discuss the fact that, you know, online spaces and offline spaces are, they're not these two distinct entities, right? Like what, what happens online comes into offline life as well. And there, you know, it all blends together. So I, you know, I wanted to to mix in images from my physical life, starting from when I was a baby. There's a picture uh, early in the book that my mom took of me uh, as a baby looking at goldfish. <laughs> and I, you know, I wanted to, to blend these two worlds, basically, this lived experience, this lived physical embodied experience with an online experience, digital experience. So that was behind that choice. Um, and then, you know, I also did want to emphasize the differences between a human being and a, and a chatbot, seeing world, this uh, tact- world of tactility versus the non-seeing. So that was a lot of uh, what, you know, the decision-making there, um, the images are very, I would say, sensual and colorful and close. Uh, there are a lot of kind of mysterious degrees of intimacy, like entangled limbs, <laughs> uh, hands touching things, things like that. And they're interwoven throughout the text in a, in a pretty organic and intuitive way. So I didn't want, I didn't want the images to just like, you know, 
illustrate the text. I wanted there to be an opportunity for, uh, you know, new narrative pathways and connections. Yeah, I feel like the design is really poignant on those on those points. It really complements this sense of intimacy and this sense of surveillance and kind of especially you know from the moment you see the cover for me it looked like a diary I might have had in my childhood and and so therefore I'm sort of there's a sense of sort of violation in reading someone's personal thoughts right and and yeah I thought the design was so powerful and this was your first time working with Mac right it was yeah and I I just got so lucky uh to work with that team I they they brought so much to the book and to the design and to the edits. Yeah. So, you know, the images, uh, I worked really closely with uh, Liv Constable Maxwell and Jess Gow at Mac. So they edited the book alongside me and I had sent them an initial draft with, with the text and images placed. And then I sent them a much larger folder of images. So they worked with the images and moved some things around and, that was very exciting for me because the, you know, the point of the images was again, like to, you know, inspire new connections and narrative pathways. And that, that is for the reader. Uh, So it, it, that didn't have to come entirely from me. So it was exciting to see the connections that they made. And I think they really did a, a beautiful job in editing that book. And then Morgan designed the cover, which is, like you said, like pretty brilliant. It's so good. Um, it's so good. It's so good. It, it does have the feeling of a childhood diary and this like this kind of secret space. But then it also has these pinpricks in it. I mean, you know, it's elusive, right? It's it, mm. you don't at first you think that you're actually touching that fabric, um, even though it's a photograph of the fabric. And then it has these pinpricks in it, which speak to this sort of like playful, like playful, but ruthless conversation that we had, you know, we pick on each other a lot in the book too. So there's that. Um, But yeah, that Morgan was great. She did the cover and then designed the book. She brought in more space and more blank pages into the book. Um, You know, moments to pause and contemplate. Yeah. It's very, very well paced. Yeah. And also there's a sense of, there's a real sense of clarity with the book as well. You you kind of, you, you skip putting an essay in there. You made a lot of decisions to keep the project quite pure, it felt. Yeah, yeah. There was some discussion about that. I'm, you know, not necessarily the essay, but whether to include a, just a project statement in the book to, you know, let the reader know what this is. And in the end, we decided to just let the book exist in the world with its own strange logic (laughs) and you know I mean on the the packaging on the outside there is a description of of what the book is but it's I I like this idea of it floating out there with you know here here's this dialogue and it doesn't say anywhere actually in the book inside of the book who this dialogue is with exactly I, I haven't told you this, but I bought a copy for a friend for her birthday the other day, and it was one of your signed. Oh. It was one of your signed copies in the <laughs> photographer's gallery. But they they had obviously got them, and then they'd repackaged them, so they weren't in their oh. original. I think they were in. Yeah, they weren't in their original plastic, but they were bagged in this sort of 
slightly opaque, sort of almost like a miniature plastic bag. But it felt, yeah, it it was so bizarre because obviously the book was familiar to me. So I knew what I was looking at. But it it actually added to the concept because it felt like I'd found someone's like bag with their diary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. To finish up, I guess I wanted to ask you, this is your this is your second book. The first book was more of a kind of, I guess, like a monograph, like an overview of your practice, whereas this is very much a project-based book. Yeah. And I'm, I guess I'm, I'm curious what you gained from taking a project into the book format. I, I'm curious, I guess, what you discovered or what you felt like you gained from doing that. Yeah, that's a great question. It was such a different experience working on this book versus the last one, and both, both were really uh, incredible. <laughs> Uh, journeys. Um, this one, you know, so I, I, I already said that the, the conversation I had with the chatbot started as out of curiosity. I didn't have an agenda, but eventually it did pop into my head that this would make a good book. And having that in mind, like, like having that outcome in mind was really helpful. Just it, it's like, um, I don't know. I don't know what word to use. It's not a rule exactly, but just having that framework helped me a lot to get this project off the ground. Um, You know, because otherwise I would have been thinking like all of the different ways that I could eventually get this out into the world. Right. And so the book was the first format and I think it's, it's a great format for the book and it's, uh, you know, it's text. So it's great that you can hold it and that we were able to reference the, the diary and all of that. And now having done that, I have more free space to think about next steps for the project, like performative readings and installations and video and things like that. Yeah, it's one of those projects that I can't wait to see how it evolves and how it sort of takes on different forms because there's so much potential and there's so many ideas in there. It's almost like you can kind of feel it about to burst out. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really exciting for me. It's definitely, I I definitely feel like I've gone into some new territories and that's as an artist, the most exciting place to be and where I always want to be. So that's great. But yeah, having the, having the idea in mind for the book to start was really helpful. Having that parameter in place. And um, I'm I'm just really happy with how it turned out and how the collaboration went with Matt. Yeah, I mean, congratulations. It's such an exciting book. Uh, I really highly recommend it to people listening. And, and thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about it. Thank you so much, Jem. As always, your questions are fantastic and uh, have me thinking. I'm going to be thinking about this, I'm sure, for the next week. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.